Hello and welcome to the Wagtails podcast. My name is Megan Corcoran and I'm the director of the Wagtail Institute. In this podcast, I invite some pretty cool people to come and have a conversation with me on all things trauma, healing, education and well-being. I started this podcast as I realized some of the biggest learning that has happened in my career has been through meeting really great people that are working in the field and having great conversations with them. In this episode, I'm joined by Christy Elliott, a consultant leading the way in restorative practices in schools. We talk about the science behind restorative practice, the challenges of implementing this in schools, and the wellbeing benefits students and staff experience when it is done well. We hope you enjoy listening to this episode. All right, welcome to the 17th episode of the Wagtails podcast. I've got my good friend Christy here, who actually has a relationship with the number 17. <laughs> Welcome, Christy. Oh, thanks, Megan. It's great to be here. Yes, I was just saying that 17 is our lucky family number. Um, I'm born on the 17th, so is my husband, so is my son. Um, my daughter was due on the 17th, but came early on the 15th. Uh, we used to live at number one of 16, which I say is just 17. Uh, and, and usually, yeah, when we go out to restaurants, cafes, we end up for whatever reason at number 17. And we did not plan this. I just nope. told you. I just happened to say, oh, you're my 17th yep. guest. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. So that's just amazing. Yeah. But so um, it's going to be a good one. It is going to be a good one. I think it's a lucky number for you. So yeah. this is perfect. Um, but Chris, it'd be great for you to introduce yourself and tell everyone who you are and, and what it is that you do. Sure. So, uh, Christy, I'm an educator at heart, also obviously a wife and a mother, um, and run my own business, Restorative Pathways, where I get to have fun um, and support schools in all things restorative justice and uh, the science of well-being as well. Yeah, amazing. And I can't wait to talk a lot about restorative practices mm. today. I've, I've got a lot to learn and I think our listeners will learn a lot from you as well. Awesome. Um, but yeah, we, we've been pretty lucky. A lot of people don't realise, I think, when you go out and you start your own work or as a consultant, you do actually get to collaborate with people sometimes. Mm, yeah. Um, and we've been lucky. We, we met actually about 12 months ago now, it would have been. Yeah. Um, yeah, because we've both been doing external consulting mm-hmm. with within MacKillop Institute. Um, yeah, and we've even been able to co-deliver some things together yes. sometimes as well. And then I've noticed our paths just keep crossing. We're doing work with similar organisations yeah. um, and we often bounce off each other as well if we need to throw some questions to each other too. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, nice. I always say people come into your life for, you know, that old saying, a reason, a season or a lifetime. And um, certainly I think you're one of those people that, that I had to meet for some reason and, and we'll figure that out along the yeah, way. Yeah, I think <laughs> I feel that way too because yeah. I, I constantly feel like I learn from you every time we get to oh, catch ditto. up or... Ditto. Yeah, so it's been a really nice thing to yeah. do. Um, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about your path, your journey with Restorative Pathways. So how did this all yeah. begin for you? Mm. Uh, so I guess I was introduced to this way of being uh, when I was a teacher, early graduate teacher. I think I'd only been out of university for a couple of years um, before the school that I was working at uh, brought an external consultant in to train our whole school in this new field called restorative practices uh, that that really, for me, just had a, a different name on the work that uh, or my approach that I was already using in schools, mm. which is very relational um, very much looking at kids as whole beings and wanting to get to know what makes them tick, but also understanding that they get it wrong so many times. Yeah. <laughs> and it's important to um, support them to figure out, you know, what that means for themselves and others. And, um, you know, I just love talking to young people. I think they, 
they teach me so much mm. as a person, um, but also the privilege of being able to support them to really have some deep reflections on their actions and what that means for themselves and their relationships. Um, so I guess uh, going through that training with my school, I thought, well, this is, you know, th- this is my passion. This is exactly uh, who I am and mm. how I practice as an educator. Um, so really just give me more, (laughs) give me more language to it, give me more structure, strategies, um, those kinds of things so I can really harness and hone this for myself in in the classroom, but also thinking about what that means as a whole school collective as well. Um, At the time, that was when I was in the ACT working um, and uh, there there seemed to be a lot of money being put into different uh, aspects of school at that time. So we actually um, applied for and won a grant with a substantial amount of money to really investigate what restorative practices could look like in our schools. Um, so our, our sort of application was around um, or involved our four primary schools and what we'd call our feeder high school in our network. Um, so five schools total um, in the southern suburbs of Canberra. And uh, as a a young, maybe naive, uh, maybe courageous graduate, I put my hand up and said, I'd actually like to run this project. Mm. Um, There was an application process where I went up against other teachers, you know, more experienced than I was, um, but uh, really put my case forward for why I felt I was the best person to run that project and ended up winning that that job. Um, So I led a team of uh, about 10 uh, staff members across those five schools And for the next 18 to 24 months, we investigated what restorative practices can look like, uh, how it's best introduced, implemented and sustained across schools over that period of time. Uh, We also created some, um, I suppose, some curriculum content around restorative work, uh, but it was very much driven from a values base, which I know Mm. is, is something that you're very passionate about. So... We actually wrote uh, some key lessons around values that were um, disseminated across our five schools. Um, and then we evaluated that project over time to see what was happening. So we had some baseline data um, around uh, a lot of that baseline data was around, I suppose, exclusionary practices, disciplinary measures in schools, um, things like detention, suspension rates, um, looking at tracking Uh, different types of behaviour across student groups Mm. Um, and uh, probably a little light on now, you know, 20 years later, a little light on those measures which I think are more important, which is around how did relationships change? Yeah. um, How did wellbeing for kids improve? Mm. How did uh, teacher and student self-awareness start to shift in that time? Yeah. So, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing and I think if we'd have measured those things, um, that would have been pretty powerful stuff back then. Yeah, well, a bit would have been pretty radical for the time, though, because even now, <laughs> even now, a lot of schools aren't quite ready yeah. for some of those measures or to, yeah. to go down that path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess that project then became our story of our of that network. Um, and uh, and again, that uh, that courageous, naive graduate put her hand <laughs> up to say, hey, listen, I think people will be interested in this story. Mm. Um, there's a there was an inaugural conference Uh, being held in Pennsylvania in the United States in a little place called Bethlehem. (laughs) And uh, that's uh, the United States will tell you that's the birthplace of restorative (laughs) justice. Love that. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, 
and uh, they they the International Institute for Restorative Practices resides there, and they ran the inaugural conference. And I said, why why shouldn't we go? Why shouldn't we go share our story? Um, and by the way, would you pay half? <laughs> America <laughs> is a long, long way away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so myself um, and another colleague, also called Christy, by the way, um, both of us uh, made the trek over there and presented our story at uh, that conference. And that's really where the um, the fire was lit in my belly to mm. be, become part of sharing the story as a way to uh, both inspire, uh, motivate and support schools to consider their current practice and start to make some shifts um, in terms of transforming the way that they relate to kids in schools. Yeah, yeah. So it kicked off from there. Amazing. 2005. And that's the that first time I've heard was. that story yeah. as well. So that's yeah. really cool to oh, know. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious though, yeah. I, I know there'll be a lot of people listening that think they know what restorative practice mm-hmm. is, mm. um, but when it's at its best, what actually is it? What does it look like? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and some of the reason... Um, you know, some of the the why behind that lack of understanding around the language is um, we probably haven't done a very good job over time explaining the terminology. Mm. Mm. Um, so I guess maybe just differentiating between the words justice and practice and those kinds of things might yeah. be important. So yep. when we're thinking about restorative justice, we're thinking about a specific um, process and strategy that is applied to matters of criminal harm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so used throughout the justice system. And that particular process and strategy uh, became known to schools as a way of managing high-level harm in schools. Yep. Uh, the first um, major restorative conference or meeting that we would call it um, occurred in 1994 in far north Queensland. And that was at a school uh, where some young people had been engaged in some serious bullying. Yep. Uh, so that justice model was translated into a school setting and used to explore that incident and and repair the harm there. Um, when we're talking about restorative practices, though, we're really talking about a suite of processes, strategies, tools, but also a way of being mm. with other people uh, mm-hmm. in that environment. And it specifically relates to schools mostly, that terminology, restorative practices. Um, you'll hear uh, in the United States, restorative justice education which translates to restorative practices in Australian and New Zealand settings. Um, So really it's that suite of offerings Mm. where we think about um, knowledge, skills and mindset. So how we think about relationships, how we view uh, discipline, punishment, consequences in a school setting, um, how we manage uh, children when they get things wrong, when they make mistakes, when harm has occurred. Um, But it's both... It's proactive, so we want to build capacity for good relationships to happen. Uh, And we want people to have the capabilities to negotiate conflict in those relationships. So we teach those skills so that you can have conflict without long-lasting harm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then also you've got the the other end, which is responsive versus reactive, which Mm. is very punitive and and that punishment stream. Um, But a response looks really has to look at what's happened, who's involved, what are their needs, um, how can we bring them together in a way that supports everybody and doesn't create further harm. Yeah. So making sure people are ready for that. Um, and uh, and what are some good questions we can ask them to get them to really think deeply about what happened and the impact of that. 
And then how can we push them to a place where they're supported to repair that? Yeah. And think about what that relationship looks like moving forward. Yeah. And it's hugely important work too. It's it's this funny Mm. thing where I think a lot of schools think there shouldn't be conflict. Um, and we're going to just, you know, we're going to work towards just like sitting in our classrooms, mm-hmm. learning. And if there's conflict, you're out. Like yeah. it's too hard. That's not what schools are for. We're yeah. here to learn. Whereas we know we're, we're putting hundreds, mm-hmm. sometimes thousands of kids similar age into one environment. Yeah. There's going to be conflict. We have conflict with adults that we yeah. work with. So of course kids are going to be having conflict. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, there's always that mindset too, that without conflict, there's no growth. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if there was never any any tension or conflict, we wouldn't have, you know, the technology we have today. So that yeah. stems from a social conflict or a communication conflict. Yeah. So if you can yep. think about it in terms of um conflict equals growth, then we start to look at it a little bit differently. I love that. Mm. Love that. Um, And one of the key things I I picked up on when you were talking as well was when you're using restorative practices, you're looking at the needs of the people involved. Oh, yeah. And I think that that is like the huge turning point, really, compared to what a lot of punitive practices would look like. We Most sort of don't, definitely. Yeah, we don't dive down the needs (laughs) thing. So what does that sort of look like when when you're doing that work? Yeah. And that, uh, uh, you know, the needs is really the baseline. That's if you haven't figured out what their needs are, it becomes difficult to surface why the event happened in the first place. Um, so we can think about some of the, the tricky behaviours that we might see or, or unexpected behaviours we might see from students in a school um, are often derived from uh, their needs being thwarted mm. or not being met. Yep. Um, and they're trying to meet them in a way that, we don't necessarily like or that that is harmful to others or self. Um, So if we can have some reflection time on, well, what do you think that that need was or um, what was going on for you at the time? Um, You know, there's a question in restorative scripts that sort of asks what we are thinking about at the time. It's, it doesn't always get met with a with an answer. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. that's metacognition. And so yeah. that it's hard for, especially hard for young people to think, well, what was I thinking about at the time and what, what did that mean? Mm. Um, but if we can ask questions like, well, what did you want? Mm. What what did you hope would happen yep. when you did ABC? Um, what did you What did you think might happen if you chose that, that way? Or um, what did you need? Just very yeah. basic, like... What, what was going on? What did you need? Yeah. Um, and just trying to surface some of that, that preemptive thinking, which is key for them to start changing some of the ways that they might react or respond in the future as well. Absolutely. If they can understand that we all have these needs and we all like them met in different ways at different times, then their behaviour doesn't become something to be shamed or blamed mm. or stigmatised. Mm-hmm. It, it simply becomes a way that they're expressing a, a lack of that need being met yeah, and and then we can start to shift some of the ways that they get that need met and yeah, change absolutely. those behaviours from there. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. It's funny. Yeah. It's bringing back so many memories for me. Um, mm. In my last leadership role before I left schools, I had to do so many collaborative problem solving meetings. Yeah. So we used a slightly different framework. Yes. Um, but it was almost a blend. We'd kind of created mm. our own little makeshift restorative mm. practice yeah. slash collaborative problem solving yeah. um, process, but. Yeah, I just remember what we would really be diving into with the young people involved was always mm. what their day looked like before the actual conflict occurred. Yeah. So what was going on in the lead up? We're looking for potential triggers yeah. um, and what needs weren't being met. And I've just got this memory of this one young person in particular. It was probably one of my most like recent ones that I did mm. before I left um, where he was on the spectrum and he was quite new to our school. And um, yeah, he, he 
it's it would look like to other people that he'd go zero to a hundred. So mm. we were always trying to find out well actually mm-hmm. what had happened in the lead up. Yeah. Um, and there was a day where he'd walk back into his classroom after recess. Anyone externally watching would think he looked pretty calm, mm-hmm. and he just goes up and physically harms another student yep. and then walks out again. Mm-hmm. And as I'm unpacking it with him and learning about his day, there was mm. a, quite a few remarks going on throughout the day before that. Um, he didn't get the food that he wanted at recess because the line was too right. long and it got really stressful for him. Mm. Um, yeah, someone made a comment to him earlier in the day. Then that student made another comment like sort of yep. 20 minutes before we go back in. Yep. And he's trying his best to, he's trying all these strategies that he, he knows would work. And yeah. then that's where we ended up. Yeah. And like, if people just went, we're going to talk about you hitting that other kid. Yeah. We're not going to get anywhere. We're not going Absolutely to get anywhere. Not. We had to make yeah. plans around. Well, when you when the line's long, what can that what can we do yeah. for you at the canteen? That's right. When someone makes a comment, where can you go in the school to like let off some steam? That's right. And we started making all those plans rather than going, yeah. oh, you hit someone. Let's talk about you hitting someone. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. I think that's probably the piece um, that is often either uh, rushed over mm. due to time, maybe. Um, or or just left out because um, of ignorance, maybe that, yeah. that that is actually a part of restorative practice. Yeah. Yep. That the work doesn't end when the conversation ends. Yep. Actually, there is a skill building part Absolutely. to it. Absolutely. Um, and the adults in the school have a role to play beyond facilitating a conversation. Yeah. You know yep. that where one of the things that I'm always saying to schools is when you're in that conversation with young people. Your job really is, is among other things, but is to find and and um, almost capture where you can see the need is and mm. what that means for you in your role moving forward. Yeah. So pull out those teaching and learning moments, yeah. capture that, and that's where you start to support kids after those conversations. They, they might repair in the moment with somebody else that they've harmed and feel okay in that relationship mm. to move forward. But you're not going to prevent that that yeah. reaction or that response happening again yeah. unless you've surfaced what happened, really surfaced it, yeah. um, and put a plan in place to support them to change that and prevent some of those things occurring in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and like you can see some beautiful shifts happen as well. Like there's some young people where you, you feel like you do these meetings with them every week. Yes. <laughs> um, but I would actually, I got to the point with one student who I worked with for a couple of years mm-hmm. um, coming to me and actually like knocking on my office door and saying, I need to have a CPS meeting. And I'm like, oh, what happened? Normally, you know, we'd yeah. find out something's happened. We then have to chase the kids down. We do all yeah. this prep work with them. He's like, no, I'm ready to have it right now. Awesome. And yeah, and he just unpacked with what, what happened. He's like, I made the wrong decision. I think yeah. they're really upset with me. I need to have it. I was like, and you, you feel ready right now. Um, so then we went and prepped the other person and straight away we're able to resolve something yeah. that would have taken a long time before. Yeah. yeah so this stuff Amazing. does start to shift the way young yeah. people are viewing what's going on and what's mm-hmm. possible in, in resolving it as well, mm-hmm. which I think is really special. It really is. That transformative moment is very powerful, not just for the teacher involved or the adult involved, but for the, obviously for the child themselves. But that, um, you know, you say it took two years mm, to get to yeah, that point. Yeah. And that is a critical piece. Mm. Uh, you know, if there's one thing that I encourage schools to do is um, to really consider that this transformation stuff takes a long time. Yeah. And if you're not in it for that time, don't start it. Yeah. Because you're, you're dangling this, this carrot in front of people offering hope, mm. where if you can't sustain that hope, um, 
you know, that idea of teachers getting tired from change fatigue. Yeah. Um, new things coming and going all the time. But this stuff will work, but it's not going to, it's, it's not a fairy dust that you sprinkle yeah. over <laughs> yeah. and everything, everything is fine from there. Um, and it's funny the way we think about behavior in schools mm. in that we want things to change so quickly. Mm. We don't want to see those harmful behaviors happening again. And we don't, but we expect them to change very quickly. Yeah. Um, when I think about all of the the really transformative stages of my life and how long they took, mm. it's years. Yeah, you know, to become a teacher. You know, I've spent you know four years just at uni alone, but everything leading up to that was sending me in that direction. Yeah. Um, and then when I graduated, I had a title of teacher, but I wasn't a teacher yet yeah. until I actually yeah. got in the classroom and started figuring out who I was as a teacher. So, you know, you can think that that's probably another five to ten years on. So mm. becoming a teacher took me a long time, over a decade. Yeah. That's behaviour change. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I love that example. So we've just got to give people time and space. Yeah, yeah. And the right supports yeah. to be able to change some of that big stuff because a lot of it, for you know, a lot of that hard um, – hard behavior in schools that that teachers are, are trying to manage well um is coming from a place that is not cognitive mm. that is deeply ingrained in the biology of that young person yeah um and it's not going to change just because you ask them to yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and they're in a stressful environment for a lot of young people right. schools are pretty stressful place mm. yeah it's a pretty busy place to be navigating your own yeah. emotional regulation yeah. and that sort of thing too absolutely yeah. yeah yeah i mean the other example i sometimes use is you know how many people at the start of the year think i'm going to go the gym regularly mm. how long does it last mm. you know and how much motivation and support do you need in order to maintain that level of commitment yeah um you know that's the same for kids they'll say yeah. i want to change my behavior kids do not want to hurt other people mm. they absolutely don't and and sometimes their behavior can be terrifying for them yeah because yeah. they they feel out of control in those moments as well yeah um but they don't know other ways to do it or, the, or their body doesn't allow them to do mm. it in other ways yet. Yeah. Um, you know, so just like going to the gym, you need support and yeah. sustainability measures to make those changes. Yeah, yep. So mm. accountability, a bit of practice yeah. as well. Like yeah. it's, yeah, yep. You know, and, <laughs> and the piece around, well, you know what, I'm not going to the gym today. I can't be bothered. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean you throw everything out. Yeah. You know, yep. it doesn't yeah, mean that everything, now. right. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't mean that everything you've done before then is worth nothing now just because you've made one mistake yeah, again. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, and, and, kids who are struggling in this way can really feel that yeah can feel like they've tried yeah. so hard and they've got through a day without hurting themselves or anybody else in any way um, and then the next day they do and they feel like the day before meant nothing mm. um, and maybe that's because of the way that we're responding to them that that we're disappointed yeah you know, that, yep. that they've made another mistake yeah yeah but actually that's just part of learning yeah you, for sure. you don't get everything right all the time you will fail you will take steps backwards that's okay yeah. And that's what I find fascinating when we talk about behavior in schools as well. It's like mm. we know, like I always think about it like we should be treating it like a subject, no matter what school you're Absolutely. working in. We need to learn <laughs> about too. behavior and social skills yeah. and all of those things. Um, yeah. And if we think about it in the frame of a subject, like we start the year with a certain base level in a subject. And the goal is by the end of the year, there should be some measurable change. I should have progressed a little bit in mm -hmm. that subject. 
It's like, why are we not looking at behavior the same way? Like, and just allowing young people to have their baseline, where they're starting from, and there's going to be some shifts for each of them. And it doesn't mean they're all going to be perfect by the end of the year. (laughs) We're going to have, like, that bell curve that always happens. Of course. (laughs) Yeah, but there's going to be progress. overrated anyway. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But it's so funny too, though, because we also know, and I know that you sometimes do work in this space, that adults don't always behave so well too. (laughs) Yet we we treat young people like they should be behaving so well. Yeah, we um, have uh, we have pretty high expectations yeah, of we young do. people around um, how they behave and and their abilities or lack of to control their behavior. Um, and I've got to say, I've I've seen some pretty interesting adult behavior in mm. school sectors as well, and and other sectors that. Uh, yep. So part of part of my work is also conducting restorative conferencing or mediation, if you like. So um, helping adults and and other older people to come together when harm has been done between them as well. Mm. Um, and so that's the very formal end that we would use in a, in a restorative process. Um, but absolutely, adults mess up. Yeah. I mess up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you're right. The expectations we have of, of adults, you know, versus kids, they're not they're not balanced or yeah. um, appropriate sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because mm. honestly, as a leader, sometimes managing the dynamics between the team and mm. resolving conflict between the team or seeing some poor behavior from a staff member was actually where a lot of my attention had to go Yes, as well. Yeah. We don't talk about that or we don't even model that for the students sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's sort of like I'm the yeah. adult. I can do what I want. I can say what I want, mm. um, but you're going to follow my instructions. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not modeling it for you. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and the funny notion that when kids mess up, they should apologize to us, but mm. we're not always the first one to do it backwards that way yeah. you know because yeah. teachers get it wrong often yeah. with young people yeah um and you know that's simply because we're human as well yeah. um and that's okay to mm. a certain degree you know that's okay um you know there there is an argument for we are the adult in the room we have the most well-developed brain yeah that we um we have the capabilities then of getting it right more often than not as yeah. opposed to the young people but still we will get it wrong um, and there, you know, there have been people that I've worked with that have found it extremely difficult um, to the point where they simply won't mm. um, be accountable to the young people in that space that they have harmed yeah. with their words But it's almost more important, like even the way you framed it, it's like we're meant to have the most developed brain yeah. in the room. Like we've had more experience. So if we get it wrong, the apology is even more important because I should have known better as an adult. Yeah. So I definitely need to apologize yeah. right now. Yep, definitely. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I know you say this too, that I'm not going to ask any young person mm. to do anything I'm not prepared to do. Yeah. That's simply out of the question. Yeah. Yep, for sure. Practice what we preach all for the sure. time. I actually saw an amazing example of an adult who made huge mistakes um, apologizing to a group of students I worked with and, mm. and wanting to go through our collaborative problem solving process. Yeah. Um, but it was actually a police officer. Mm-hmm. So this was um, a pretty yeah, significant situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but my old school was right near a tram stop. And so our students always, you know, would catch the tram near there. And there was one afternoon where a bunch of them had gone down there and they're having a water fight at the tram mm-hmm. stop. It's a hot day. They've got little water guns. They're, thro- they're like throwing their water bottles on each other. They're having a heap of fun. Mm. And they're on the tram tracks. Mm. Next thing we hear the siren go and there's a police car there. Um, and like, I guess, you know, trying to get them off the tram tracks was probably the goal, or it might've looked like an incident even, maybe it looks like they're fighting, but they're Mm. having fun. Mm. This police officer comes down, um, and they end up pepper spraying the kids and the kids all run back to school and they're really distressed. They're even running on the road to try and get away from the pepper spray in the middle of the traffic. And so the kids are really distressed and they've come back to school and we've run out and we're, Mm. it's very chaotic. Um, yeah. And so in the sort of days after that, we actually Mm. had the police officer who made that decision reach out 
um, and, and acknowledge that he'd made the wrong decision. Because we called the police station and we, we yeah. complained, obviously. Mm. They're kids. You pepper sprayed some kids that were doing nothing. <laughs> Just right. ask them to get off the tram tracks. They probably would have. Um, yeah. yeah, so he ended up mm. reaching out and reflecting on his own situation, wanting to know how he could repair with our students. Yeah. And he ended up writing them a pretty nice letter, um, acknowledging his own dysregulation in that moment, yeah. making the wrong decision, um, being aware that, you know, it's, it's harmed them and he's really wanting to resolve with them. So we started wow. planning the collaborative problem solving mm-hmm. meeting for him to come in and do that with them that is as well. Yeah, it was really powerful because mm-hmm. they were, it just reinforced a lot for them to be like, you know, stuff the police. We Absolutely. hate the police. Here they go again. Mm-hmm. You know, like we can't, we can't yep. win with them. Judgment, judgment, yeah. judgment. Yep. Yeah. But here's, a, here's mm-hmm. one of them standing up and going, mm-hmm. I made a really awful decision in Amazing. that moment and I want to actually fix this. Good for them. Yeah. Which was really cool to see. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. So that was really powerful for our students. A lot of them were actually, I'm not meeting with him. I don't want to meet with him. And, yeah. and I'm like, you don't have to. Like, yeah. You really don't have to. Yeah. But those that wanted to, it was really cool. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point too. Yeah. That, yeah. That, uh, yeah. that these processes are voluntary. Yeah. You know, there's, yeah. there's no force or coercion used in a restorative or Absolutely. collaborative yeah. proactive system. Yeah. So, you know, and that can be contentious mm. in schools as well. When, yeah. Uh, when yeah. adults want to see accountability yeah. and they believe you know, that that involves making kids come to these conversations. Yeah. It yep. won't end well. Yeah. Well, I've got a question for you then that you might be able to help. And I'm sure there's people listening yeah. that want to know. Parents are often the hard part mm. in these processes and they don't often understand the process or to mm. them it looks like we're supporting the perpetrator, if we want to yeah. use that language. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if they're the parent of the victim, they often feel a lot of heaviness around that. Yeah. Um, is there any tips around bringing the parents on the journey as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one thing, you know, that I usually say about parents is every everybody comes to a, a school or comes to be a parent with their own school experience. It, you know, they were a student once. And so that narrative of what school is like is the way that they see school for their own children now as well, or certainly influences that. Um And, you know, so when I think about what my school narrative is, it was definitely a punitive systems, punishment. Um, My primary school definitely still had the cane. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mm -hmm. a lot of the uh, coercive measures were around exclusion um, and shame and making sure you felt like the absolute pit, you know, of of despair after Mm. making those mistakes. And that is the way that schools did things. Yep. And so if we can understand that um, parents are coming with narratives that may be similar to that, may not be similar to that, but they'll certainly have their own narrative around school. Um, Just like students, we need to meet them where they're at. We need to explore what their expectations are, um, what they believe um, the role of schools is when Mm. when kids mess up, but also how they view things like mistakes and and behaviour. And if we can open up that dialogue with our parent community, um, and then bring in some established uh, information about, you know, si- what science tells us about behaviour and relationships and um, how behaviour change really is supported to happen. We bring them along slowly, but surely. Um, but we get in early with parents as well. Mm. So um, let's not leave them on the outside looking yeah. in. Waiting for an, like waiting right. for the first situation yeah. that their, their child's a part of. That's right. Yeah. We don't want a parent's first experience of restorative practice to happen when their child has been involved in an incident. Yeah. We want them to have um, at least a foundational understanding of what it looks like in the school before they become a part of it. Yep. Um, and then again, you know, just, just having lots of conversations about it. Um, I wonder 
whether schools, and I think they can, can do a lot better with opening the dialogue with parents. Um, in my experience, that it's a very one-way communication system. Schools communicate to parents. Yeah. And yeah. expect parents to just pick it up where they, where yeah. they put it down, right? Yeah. Um, yep. You know, even questioning schools that have um, a, a community where there might be um, anything upwards of 30 or 40 different languages spoken in the school. Um, and often I'll say, well, when you're asking kids how they feel or, or trying to explain what's going on for them, are you requiring them to do that in their uh, in English, which might be their second, third or fourth language? Yeah. Or is it okay for them to experience that in their mother tongue, yeah. um, which is probably the way they're thinking in yeah, that moment? Absolutely. So often when we are yeah. um, distressed or having highly charged emotions, you're thinking in your mother tongue because mm. that's that's mm. the part of the brain that's at work, right? So just challenging schools to have a think about what opportunities there are to engage in that conversation mm. um, and to open the dialogue with parents. Don't be afraid to let them in and see what they've got to say yep. about these practices. You know, I'd, I'd love to see schools say, we're going to have a, a restorative circle. We want to open the dialogue to see um, what your thoughts are around these processes and practices. We want to share this with you. Um, come come on down, come and sit in mm. our circle and let's have a chat. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Mm. You just sparked another um, line of thinking and another question as well <laughs> when you were talking about the different ways that we process things. Mm. Um, it's a very, we're talking about a very um, kind of refined verbal practice when yeah. we're talking about these processes as well. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything that you're aware of around um, young people who might struggle with that, might yeah. have some delays around that, might have a cognitive disability Absolutely. or a neurodiverse situation yeah. as well where that's quite a hard process for them? Definitely, yeah. Yeah. So if we're only relying on verbal communication to have conversations about harm, then we're, we're certainly excluding a lot of the school population, mm. you know, whether that be through neurodiversity or intellectual disability, communication disorders, or even just simply, as I said, English as a second language. Yeah. Um, so we do need to really interrogate what are the opportunities there for us to change up how we have those conversations. Um, so I like to use a lot of visual work in my mm. practice. Um, so whether that's using something like... Um, yeah, imagery from a specific program like a board maker yep. or, or a PEX, which is sort of a pictorial program, um, and turn the conversation into pictures, really. Yeah. So the, yep. it's very similar to social stories, I suppose, yep. which would be used in a number of settings. Um, so social stories to teach the process and response of restorative approaches, and then to also engage them in conversations. So Students are selecting visual cards to explore without having to use their um, verbal vocabulary. Um, timing is a big one in that as well. So making sure that we allow for processing time, for preparation time. Mm, so we talk yep. about a restorative process having three phases, preparation, participation and follow up. Yeah. So the preparation phase is really looking at, do we know everything we need to know as mm. people who will guide this conversation? Um, is everybody ready? Mm. What do they need in order to get ready? Yeah. Um, is this going to be verbal or do we need to bring in some visuals? What support people might they need beside them? Yeah. Um, is this a chance for an interpreter to come in and help? Yeah. So there are always options and opportunities for us to expand that just one way of doing things. Yeah. Um, I think schools find it difficult uh, when the 
thinking behind it is we've got to get this sorted now. Yeah, of course. We can't let yeah. this linger. Yeah. How do we put them back in a classroom if it's not sorted? We don't want them to go home feeling as though nothing is being done. And so with the best of intentions, schools mm. often rush in. Yeah, absolutely. And that can yeah. come from the parent pressure too yeah. and all of that side of it too. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's, yeah. So it's it's a fine balance between yeah. making sure the preparation is right yeah. and and getting the conversation done in a timely manner. Yeah. And the other thing I guess that you and I both know um, and a lot of people might not be thinking about too is post-incident, um, the brain is not ready for that preparation Correct. phase either. Mm, so right. there can be a long period of time needed for that yeah. to actually come back down to a state where they're ready to engage. Absolutely. As well. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's sometimes where... Um, you know, we can talk about suspension uh, as a practice if you want, but uh, I think schools that that feel compelled to suspend students can also then think about using that time yeah. in a way that is part of that preparation yeah, phase absolutely. as well yeah. um, and not just a, an exclusionary make you feel bad kind yeah. of practice, yep. um, but really utilising that as the opportunity um, to create time and space and a stopgap, a pause. Yeah for supporting preparation of the process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And in the schools I worked in, sometimes it wasn't safe to have someone on campus. We never would have, That's a, right. we wouldn't call it a suspension. Yeah. Never. <laughs> um, yeah. But we would absolutely, yeah. like the day after, they would have an outreach visit. Yes. Um, and that could That's be, right. we're starting the preparation or we're just checking in and hanging out and checking on your wellbeing yeah. and then we'll start prep when you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so for, for some schools, that's tricky as well yeah. because the staffing that as a, as a check-in, whether that be a home check-in or a Zoom or a phone call can be yep. tricky. Um, and that's where some schools will hire me, if you like, to yep. come in and manage that situation. So I have more flexibility to engage in those conversations during that break time yep. to pre- help prepare them for that as well. Yeah, cool. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And also it becomes about the school preparing themselves as well. It's not a that's one-sided right. thing. It's yeah, everybody who's involved of needs course. to prepare um, and get ready for that. Yeah, and if young people have witnessed something that was pretty hard to see as well, that like we need to make sure everyone's feeling safe and comfortable yeah. about what happens next and that they're Definitely. updated about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm aware that we've really dived down the restorative practices <laughs> side of things, but I think that for me that was probably a bit indulgent because I wanted to learn yeah. from you. <laughs> That's okay. um, but I'm also really aware mm-hmm. that you've, um, you know, you've pursued positive psychology as mm-hmm. well and mm-hmm. you've got a real well-being science uh, lens yeah. on the way you do all of this work as well. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to make sure there was opportunity for you to talk a little bit about the well-being oh, science thanks. side of it yeah. too. So, yeah, what does that look yeah. like for the restorative pathways work that you offer as well? Mm. Uh so I actually frame restorative practice as a well-being strategy for and schools. And it absolutely is. Yeah. 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 Um, we know the power of relationships and how important they are for our well-being, for our survival, um, but definitely for our well-being. And if restorative practices is about relationships, then of course it is about well-being yeah. as well at, yeah. at the heart of that. Um, but I, I think there's also space in those restorative conversations to look at, um, you know, I do a lot of strengths work as well. Mm. So when you come into these conversations and, and particularly, you know, you mentioned earlier, you can have the same kid up for a conversation, <laughs> you know, multiple times a day yeah. or multiple times a week. Um, and these kids, you know, they have some some pretty interesting thoughts about themselves right they don't necessarily see themselves as people who can change or can do things differently or can do anything right yeah um 
And so for me, having conversations with kids, sure, about the harm that's taken place, but actually, you know, weaving in some questions around, well, I wonder if what strengths you might use to repair that harm. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder how we could use your strength of, you know, and for some of them, really interesting strengths, right? But your, your strengths of appreciation for beauty, yeah. right? How, how might we use that? in a way that gets your relationship back on track. Yeah. And so, you know, just being curious. I mean, I, I think we've moved a long way from restorative practices as a script for behaviour yeah. management. Yeah. Um, and there are still really good questions we need to ask in a restorative process that is very different from an adversarial or a punitive process. So we have to think about good questions, but we don't have to ask the same question every time. Yeah. And we don't have to stick to that script in that conversation. I think if you can leave conversations um, really highlighting student strengths, um, leave with an air of gratitude. You know, I, I would never leave a conversation without expressing gratitude and appreciation for the way they've engaged in the conversation, yeah. um, really pointing out that they have uh, they've managed the hard stuff. Um, I mean, I don't think I've ever spoken to anybody who has had a conversation about harm or who has... Um, felt compelled to express remorse or an apology to someone who will say that that's a very easy thing to do. Yeah, not at all. Right? It's Mm. one of the hardest things we can do as humans um, because it's a very vulnerable space to be in, right? You're opening yourself up for for more hurt, harm, rejection, those kinds of things. So, And there can be a lot of shame. A lot of shame. Yeah, which is really hard. Absolutely. So, yeah, always thinking about, well, what are we grateful for here? Mm. Um, what can we appreciate about one another as we finish up this conversation? Yeah. Um, what strengths will we see um, in action yep. to build that relationship back up from here? That's really important. Yeah, I love that. Mm. Mm. Well, thanks for sharing that. Welcome. We're getting close to the end of our time. It flies by. It does. <laughs> um, and you, you may know that I do five yeah. questions with every guest. <laughs> yes, but I'm going to say I have tried not to think too hard about it. Good. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to go in blind and see what comes out. Yeah, good. Even I did that when I was in, your, in that seat. Yeah, so. <laughs> good. <laughs> um, so the first one is what did you want to be when you were a kid? Yeah, so there's two. I mean, always I've wanted to be a teacher. Yeah. Uh, so I have very distinct memories of lining my dolls and teddies up on the floor. <laughs> I'm sitting there with a clipboard and I'm taking the role because that's what you do. <laughs> that's all teaching is, right? Take the role, <laughs> read a story, <laughs> love those kinds of things. Um, but also very, very maternal memories of um, taking care of younger cousins and yep. um, friends and always wanting to be with the babies, you know, and just be very nurturing and, and that kind of thing. Um, I did have a little side gig uh, when I was very young at a time um, where I wanted to be a hairdresser. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe lots of young girls do, I don't yeah. know. Um, but, you know, doing things like brushing and cutting doll's hair and that sort of stuff. But it never stuck as long as teaching did. Yeah. So definitely So teaching. funny. I feel like it's the most common answer. I mean, I'm, I'm interviewing a lot of teachers, obviously, yeah. but it, it, it's very evident that there's so many that knew from childhood they wanted yeah. to be a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an interesting one. It is. The yeah. next one is what are your two top values? So you yeah. can only choose two. Only two. Yep. I know. Well, I don't even know if I'll get to two, but definitely one is, um, and and it's it's probably taken me a, a number of years to realise what this is and to really name it, but it's forgiveness. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So just, um, and that's for self and for other. Yeah. Um, I think there's something so powerful about the act of forgiveness for people. Mm. Um, such a, it's, it's a release. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very transformative. Yeah, yeah, there's a freedom behind it. Yeah, 
Um, you know, and I, when I think about um, Ryan and DC's self-determination mm. theory, right, that a, lot of, a lot of that, so autonomy, competence and relatedness, um, the autonomy to choose forgiveness, mm. very, very big, right? Mm. You have to choose it. It's yeah. all you. You hold the power there. Yeah. Um, and it absolutely is about relatedness. It's always between people. Yeah. Um, and, and you might be the other person yourself, so it's with self or other. Um, and there is a, a sense of competence or mastery to it. You d- it is something that you develop and grow over time. Yeah. Um, I, I do think young people are born with a sense of grace and forgiveness. Yeah, and I was about somewhere to say, it's almost way, like we lose it. I was actually yeah, thinking that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, somewhere, somehow along the way, it, it doesn't become something that's done almost automatically. It's yeah. something that's a, a bit of a process that we go through. So. Yeah, forgiveness is definitely one um, that's become very important to me over time. And obviously that's expressed in my work as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I think um, probably gratitude more so um, in my adult years um, <laughs> is a value that that has become very important to me mm. um, because of the power that it has on your positive emotions and your relationships um, and just your overall well-being, yeah. just finding, you know, we live in such an uncertain world. Um, you know, if you want the bad news, just turn the TV on. Yeah. You don't have to go yeah. too far to, to find just some things that are pretty media. shocking, <laughs> right? Turn the yeah. TV on, social media. It's all there in front of you, but to actually find good things, and there are many, yeah. um, that's a practice that I value highly. Mm, I love that. Mm. Yeah, yeah makes a lot of sense yeah <laughs> um the third one is the fun one <laughs> so if you were going to have a boxing oh, fight yeah. what would be your walkout <laughs> song <laughs> yeah it is a good one everyone loves this i'm question. almost thinking i need to make a playlist of like wagtails walkout songs <laughs> you do. do you know what um and this i uh, probably at different times when i've listened to your your podcast with other guests i have thought what would it be um and different songs sort of come up in different moments but um you know, and I think, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea being that your fight song is really something that revs you up to yeah. get, get your head yeah. in the space of fighting, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I would say that for me, that's a very foreign headspace. Yep. And so I found it hard to think about what songs would actually help me do that. I don't mm. know. Um, you know, and one of the songs that comes to mind, only because I heard it recently, uh, so from the album, which is the soundtrack, um, what is it? The Greatest Showman? Is that the oh, movie? Yeah. Um, so I think so. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's the it's the the key. It's the main song of that. It's the Greatest Showman, and it um, it's one of those songs that kind of builds at the start, mm-hmm. and it's got this. Uh, so if you think of um, you know, because it's based around a circus, sort of an old school circus. And the, the big high top and um, the drums that are kind of going on. Oh, awesome. And then it just kind of builds and builds and builds to this enormous crescendo where it's like, you know, this is the greatest show on earth kind of stuff. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, I, I mean, I guess maybe that would kind of yeah. put me in that headspace. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Love that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one. I feel like people that don't box, it's like, well, what even yeah. am I talking about yeah. or thinking about here? You know, yeah. Because when I think like, is it just about energy and what gets me going? Like I cannot not dance. Dance if the song Footloose by Kenny Oh, yeah, but see, that's, on, yeah, right? that so. can even be it for some boxers, though. Like, you'll see them have a real playful, fun walkout. Yeah. It's about okay. getting the crowd behind them yeah. and being like, this is my image, you know, as yeah. well. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah so, it can be part you know, of it too. Definitely that. I can't sit still if that comes on. Yeah, so there you go. awesome. Sean my Love that. there too. Yeah, if I do make a playlist, <laughs> I'll put both on. Awesome. <laughs> um, the fourth one is if you could collaborate with anyone, mm. dead or alive, who would it be? I mean, so many. Um, can I have two or not? Yes, you can. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so the first one is sort of a, a very academic one, and, and that is uh, Professor Ryan Nimick. Ryan is a psychologist, but also a lead uh, researcher and educator through the Values in Action Character Institute. Yeah. Um, and Ryan researches uh, character strengths heavily, especially in a school setting. Mm. Um, and I would just love, to, I, in fact, I have emailed him and he's very good. He does email back. Oh, that's so awesome. I've attempted yeah, to you, collaborate. Yeah, that's, what, that, that's in itself a collaboration. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, because, you know, and I asked him questions about how we can develop strengths-based questions in restorative practice oh, as well, which, yeah. you know, so I would love to do that a little bit more and yeah. um, that kind of thing. So that's that's my nerdy self going off there, which I love. Um, but then also, so he, uh, no one else will have said this, I'm sure, but Dolly Parton. Yeah, no one has said that. You're, you're correct. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, love her music, love everything about her, but Dolly is very passionate about children growing up in a way that supports their well-being. Yeah, she's got, um, is it her that she, that's got the mind up yeah, work? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. she, and uh, she, there's a platform you can sign up and she sends children a book to research. She's very big on literacy and making sure that that, wall, that world of literature is open to all kids no mm. matter what. So that's all free. Um, she's just a go-getter. Yeah, I think that's I would cool. just love to sit down with you and just figure out what we could do together in education because I think that she is a very innovative thinker. Mm, love I think, that. I think she could make a big impact on our systems if we let her. Yeah, that's cool. And also sing and why wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, have a bit of fun <laughs> along the way. <laughs> love that. And then the yeah. final question is um, if you could make one recommendation as a step that anyone could take towards healing, what would it be? Yeah, well, it's going to be tied to my value, which is forgiveness. Yeah, I thought you were going right? to go there. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, I think, um, you know, the narratives we have about ourselves uh, are not always great for us. Um, and if we can figure out with, with relational support, start there. Start with what do you need to forgive yourself for mm. and how will that help you to put your best self out into the wide world where you may be capable of offering that to other people as well. I think that's a pretty nice space to think about. Yeah, that's a really powerful one. Mm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that one. Welcome. Um, so, Chris, if people do want to find you and mm. get in touch and do some work with you, where where can they find you? Yeah, great. Uh, I'm on the socials, probably um, LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram, are probably my top three. Um, the website is www.restorativepathways.com.au, so you can locate me there. Um, and like I say to everybody, I love a chat and I am very relational. I love to meet people. So drop me a line, send me an email. Let's talk it out. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming in today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've learned so much and I know everyone listening will have too. Thank you, wonderful listeners, for making it right to the end of the podcast. We appreciate you. If you like what you hear, feel free to subscribe, give us a rating. We'll be dropping a new episode roughly once per fortnight. So you can stay tuned for the next one. Thank you.